In Revelation chapter number 8, just look at a few verses of Scripture this morning. It says in verse number 1, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the angels when they stood before God, or I saw seven angels, and they stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended before God out of the angel's hand, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar, and look what it did. It says, And cast it under the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Fathers, we pray again, knowing that everything we do today, all is around you. Knowing that, God, we can't speak to you enough in our services of worship. Knowing that the reason that we have come here today... Lord, is not just to talk to one another and to fellowship with one another and to hear, Lord, just something from the Scriptures. But the reason that we have come here today is because just like we're doing now in this prayer time, we want you to speak to us. We need you, Lord, to please speak to our hearts and to help us, Lord. Where we're broken, please heal us, Lord. Where we are doing right, God, strengthen that and help it to remain. Lord, we ask you that you'd be with us today. Be with all of the ones that are in this sanctuary, in this building, that are joining in in worship. Be with all of those that are at home today, Lord, that may be sick, that may be watching through the live stream. God, please just, Lord, as much as you are with us, Lord, be with them. And God, we ask you that you would just please, Lord, that you would just show us, Lord, all of the glory. As, as one of our deacons pointed out this morning, God, that's what we want to see, is we want to see your glory. We want to see you. We want to see everything that you can do, Lord. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask all of these things together, and we believe by saying amen. Amen. You can be seated. Or this church this morning, I want to preach to you about answered prayers and about having our prayers answered by the Lord. Uh, in chapter 8 of Revelation, we're going to kind of bring everything up to speed just a little bit. Uh, the, there's things that we want to talk about. We're actually going to try to cover in the next 30, 45 minutes seven different things that we see in just these six verses that we're looking at. And, and the first thing we want to look at is that the Bible says in verse number 1 that it says in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal... The Bible says that there's going to be this seventh seal that's opened up. And so what I want to do is I left you some blanks there on your study notes. If you didn't get them, you get church bulletins, they have the study notes in there. And, and I left that blank because I want you to not just come to church and go, ooh, you know what I mean? You know, I, how many of you like to go to the uh, uh, New Year's and Fourth of July and fireworks and stuff like that? Anybody in here a pyromaniac like myself and like fireworks and all that stuff? Um, uh, like the smell of the fireworks as they, you know, burn and all that stuff. We're together, brother. Amen. Uh, reminds me of the old days with the cap guns and stuff, you know, when we shoot that. But um, love that. Love going to them. You know, there's nothing like going down to Birmingham, watching Thunder on the Mountain, or we have them at the high school sometimes, and uh, uh, having God and country and all of that. I love that. But let me tell you something that would excite me more if they let me shoot them. That would excite me even more if they would let me shoot those things. So many times you come to church and you hear this message, and you think because you're intelligent and you're smart and your mom told you you are, that you can retain all of this stuff. There's absolutely, I'm telling you, there's absolutely no way you could retain it in just the mind. That's why God told John, write it down. Because why? We will not, no matter your age, no matter how young or old you think you are, you can't retain all of these things. Even in all of these notes that I've been giving you, you know, for weeks and weeks upon weeks, you can't hold all that stuff and think, okay, it's going to be uh, there whenever I need to draw it up and stuff. No, you, you have to have it written down, and you have to be able to go back sometimes and to relearn and reread and rehash that, rethink about it and stuff. And so what I want you to do in that first part, not today, but when you go home today, I want you to think about, what we've talked about in the book of Revelation. How did we get to the place that we are now with the seventh seal already being opened up? How did we get there? And, and this is the way that I summarize it. I try to look in each chapter. If I want to memorize a book of the Bible, 
and try to memorize the thoughts and everything so that my brain goes, okay, I know that that was in this chapter or that chapter. You know, I, I look at the book of John. I love the book of John. John chapter number 1 that talks about Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the baptism that takes away the sins of the Lord, all of this. I look at John chapter 3. Some of the greatest scriptures that we know are found in John chapter number 3 about him, God loving the world and sending his Son and that we're already condemned because we don't believe in the Son already. And, and, and Nicodemus in that story. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. John chapter 10, the great shepherd. John 11, you know, Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe you, you try to relate the stories that stick out so that you can recall that stuff. But even in all of that, you still can't remember all of it. You still can't gather it all together. But you need to take something out of each service that you come and each chapter that you've read. Revelation chapter number 1. If you were to go home this afternoon and just summarize where we started in Revelation 1 to where we are now of the seventh seal being opened up, the summary would be just something like this, Revelation chapter 1. It revealed unto us not only Jesus Christ, but the whole trinity of God. But it reveals unto us that the revelation of Jesus is the unveiling of Jesus Christ into the world. The unveiling God's plan, unveiling his son. In other words, what we see now, if we did not have the book of Revelation, would just be simply looking through something such as this. But the Bible says revelation is God removing the mask, removing the veil, so that we could see him clearly. What does it say in Revelation chapter 1? We're going to talk about the God who was, who is, and who is to come. And it talks about what? In this book, we're going to talk about the past, and we're going to talk about the present, and we're going to talk about the things that happen hereafter or the future. And then in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, if you were to write that down, what happened in those chapters? We talk about what? The present time. Talked about the church age and talked about the seven churches that were in Asia Minor, right? And we talked about Ephesus and Thyatira and Sardis and Alabama and all these other things, right? We talked about how those churches had great things at times, but then they had also bad things. But that's the present age that we live in now. And we live in this day where we are carrying the gospel to the whole world. If you were here this past Wednesday night. Then what happened in Revelation chapter 4 and 5? The throne room. We put all that together knowing that this great thing, we went into the throne room. The Bible teaches Revelation 4.1, the rapture of the church. John is caught up. He's caught up before the Lord because why? He heard the voice of the Lord say, come up hither. And he goes into the throne room. And Revelation 4 talks only about, if you look at it, it talks about those living creatures before the throne, the 24 elders before the throne, but it talks about the creator God who is on the throne. Do you remember the worship and the praise that was going on in Revelation chapter 4? It was all about, listen, blessed is God who has created all things. And they were saying he is the wonderful creator, talking about God the Father. And it gave this image of God the Father on the throne, but it doesn't show body because the Bible says that God is not a body, but he's a spirit, and those that worship him, have got to worship him in spirit and truth, John chapter 4. But then the Bible says that we move to this point where God the Father has a scroll in his right hand, and that scroll is wrapped up. The word is writing or biblion, like the word Bible. And it means that it is a writing. The same word that was given about a writing of divorcement. Do you remember when Jesus, the Pharisees really kind of tried to nail Jesus against the wall and they began to ask him crazy questions and always understand something. When people come at you with potato questions, you just need to leave them alone. And some of you go, what is a potato question? Loaded. Potatoes aren't good unless they're loaded, okay? When they come to you with loaded questions, that they have an ulterior motive and they're trying to catch you in something. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, this man had a wife and he died. And then whenever he died, this other one got it and got her. And then he died and then another one got and, and, and listen, all the way up to seven of them. And they said, well, whenever she gets to heaven, who's she actually going to be married to? And what is amazing about this is the people that asked that question were the Sadducees. And they were sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. So why ask a goofy question about the resurrection if you don't even believe in it? Because it's a potato question. It's a loaded question, and they were trying to catch Jesus on those things. And what did he talk about? He told them, he says, they will neither be given in to marriage, you know, be as the angels in heaven, neither giving in to marriage or doing this. And what did he say? They began to talk to him about divorce and tried to catch him on divorcement. And he says, listen, God didn't give you divorcement. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, wrote a decree or a writing of divorcement. 
That's the same word that we get that there was a scroll in the hand of God the Father. A writing, a biblion is the Greek word. And what it was was God had an order to everything and said, this is going to be my judgment and it's going to be complete. Then all of a sudden in chapter number 6, what did we see? We saw six seals that were opened up. We saw a white horse. We saw a red horse. We saw a black horse and a pale horse, which were all the characteristics of the Antichrist that's going to come. Brother Carl, it was not just the characteristics of, okay, he comes the first year, he comes the second year, he comes the third year. It was talking about what you're going to see. You're going to see this image of this person, uh, not image of the person, you're going to see this person who is portraying themselves as the image of the Messiah. And you're going to see him come in and he's going to have a, a, a crown on his head and he's going to be coming in riding a white horse and you're going to think he is a conqueror and that he is a hero. But then you're eventually going to see the red horse. You're going to see his character of evil and hatred. And you're going to see all of this evil come out of this person during that second half of the tribulation. Then he said, you're going to see death in the black horse. You're going to see death in the, a famine in the black horse and death in the pale horse. And then the Bible said what? It says that in the fifth seal, it said that the, when it was opened, it says that the people that were martyred, they were beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ during the tribulation. It says that I saw them and I heard them crying out from underneath the altar of God. And they were crying for vengeance. God, how long are you going to allow those that have done these things to us to continue on? And then we talked about that sixth seal. This is the whole stuff that you should, you should know these things. All right? And some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new rope or a new fence. These are things that we've talked about that you should know. But in that six seals open up, what's, what's being said? The Bible says that when the six seal opens, that there's this chaos in the heavens and a chaos that's upon the earth. It says the earth will shake, the grass, all of these things. It says that the stars will fall out of the sky. It says the sun will turn dark. The moon will turn as blood. All of these things will happen. And listen, here, here's where we are now. We talk about the church as something that we know. Some of you know church nine months before you were born. You know church that much. We talk about something that we know, and we go, oh, those are great messages. But when we talk about the things that he says will be hereafter, then all of a sudden we start slipping, and we start losing one another, and we start going, well, wait a minute, I, I don't understand all that stuff. It's by faith that we must receive these things. As John wrote these things down, church, 2,000 years ago, you've got to understand that a lot of things have changed in 2,000 years. And when John was pinning things down and using illustrations that he tried to use, as Jesus did, of parables of things that he knew around him, we've got to understand. We've got to get away from the iPod era, and we've got to go back and think, what was he looking at? What was he seeing? What was going on? And church, it all pertains to the truth. The Bible says that the seventh seal being opened, that it's going to bring forth something else, okay? But before we get there, we've got to go, how did we get there? My favorite messages so far have been about the throne room. My second favorite messages so far were last Sunday and the Sunday before, where 144,000 are sealed and a number that cannot be numbered are saved. I was fired up and I was excited. Amen. I used to use a phrase that I, I felt like swinging over hell on a grass rope and spitting the devil's eye. You know, I was excited on the last two Sundays. We're fixing to move back into these judgments. Most of you are going to start going on your vacation adventures now again. You're going to start slipping a little bit, and you've got to hang in there. The Bible says that these things are going to happen. The seventh seal, look with me again in verse number one. It says, and when he had opened the seventh seal, I want you to look at this. There was a silence in heaven. The Bible says that heaven was silent for about half an hour. Now listen, you may think the way that I do. This may prove that some men, women, children, and people that ask questions constantly may not go to heaven. Some of you may not make it because you just can't be quiet. A half an hour. Tell a kid to be quiet a half an hour. You know what they think about? Half an hour. And they, listen, if you were not to say anything to them, they could possibly be quiet for half an hour. You look at this and you go, Rusty, what, what is the Lord talking about that there is this silence that is in heaven for the space of a half an hour? How many of you can't wait to go to heaven and have a space of a half an hour of total silence? <laughs> Anybody here? You mamas and you daddies ought to raise your hands. Makes me think of the days of the old commercial, Calgon, take me away. 
You know what I mean? Listen, this silence is one that when we look at it, we can't just take it out of its own place right there, just looking at it just as this and go, okay, there's no verse number two. You have to look at it within the context of all Scripture. And when it says that there is silence in heaven for about the space of a half an hour, it's talking about the same way that there is a calm before a storm. It's actually in the same way of, if you think about it, if you've ever done hopefully you've, you've thought about this because you've done jury duty and you've not been on the other end of this story that I'm fixing to share with you, but it's like a jury that has been deliberating and they've come out of the chambers now and the judge is awaiting their uh, verdict so that he could pass judgment, okay? Hopefully, when you understand what I'm talking about that, you were in the jury and not in the chair, okay? And you were waiting to be judged. But it gives that same kind of silence. I remember on, being on a case years ago. We were sitting there, and people were arguing. And, and I don't know why my mind went to this, but my mind always goes back to the Andy Griffith episode. And, and they just couldn't let that guy go and turned out to be right, right? And y'all need to look. If y'all are going to come here, you need to watch Andy Griffith. Because <laughs> that's about as best as my illustrations really get. And, uh, but when they come out of that jury chamber, all the courtroom is quiet. It's all silent. Unless you're sitting with a friend and his phone goes off and it's the text of Goofy falling off the cliff. I, I've been there before too. And, and, and that person was escorted out of the, the, the uh, courtroom. But the Bible says in Habakkuk, look, chapter 2, verse number 20, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. When the Lord is in his place, when the Lord is on his throne, when the Lord is there, there are times of praise. There are times of, of that we give glory and we worship him and we do those things. But listen to what Zephaniah said in verse uh, 7 of chapter 1. He says, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord thy God for the day of the Lord, look what it says, is at hand. There are times that when we're before the Lord, we praise and we clap. There are times in church, Brother Butch, that we, we cry. Tears roll down. Sometimes we get excited. Sometimes there is this, listen, not a spirit of laughter where people are falling out and laughing, but there is a time where there's this joy that comes over us that you just can't wipe the smile off of the person's face. And you're so excited just to be with the people of God, in the house of God, you know, praising the Lord. But there are also times that God says, you need to be quiet. There are times that God says, you need to listen. Do you know what? Let me help you with your prayer life. So many times your prayer life consists of you telling God this big, huge, long list of wrongs, things that were done wrong to you. Then all of a sudden you start pulling out this big, huge list of needs and you begin to tell him all of the things that you need and all the things that you don't have. Is there ever a time in your prayer life to where you go, Lord, I'm just going to take time right now to listen. Lord, I'm going to listen to you. I want to hear you. I want you to speak to me. There are times, and there have been times in my life, that God said, don't talk. You're not saying anything. I've been in hospital rooms. I've been in funeral homes. It's where I wanted to say something. One of the clearest times ever in my life of being in a hospital room as a friend of ours, my wife's grandmother was passing away, that I wanted to say something. And I'm against the wall with about 17, 18 other people. Wanted to say something. And I was just so stirred up as we were watching a, a flower just simply fade away. As the breath was uh, growing weaker here, heaven's bells was growing stronger there. And we were in that middle. And man, I, I told my wife, I, I feel like singing. And all of a sudden it was like God said, you don't talk when I'm in the room. Just don't say anything. Just be quiet. You allow me to do what I do. Precious in the sight of the Lord of his death of his saints. You let me do what I do. Church, this silence that's going to happen, it's not one of those things where everybody's going to have to go, shh. No. It's because God is about to judge. You say, Brother Steve, but what about all of those other seals that have been opened up? Those six other seals. All of these judgments have already come. No, 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 not, not, not fully. The Bible says in Matthew 24, it says these are the beginning of sorrows. Just the very beginning, the, the tip of it all. We've not, we've not uncovered everything yet. His judgment is fixing to come. And I want you to think about this with me also. 
Can you imagine as all of that silence is there, the next question that they're thinking in their minds? When you're, when you're quiet, you know what happens? You begin to think. When, you, when you're at home and you got the TV on, or when you're sitting by your girlfriend or boyfriend, you're goofing off and all that stuff, you, you, you don't listen to people, you're, you, know, you know what I'm saying? When, when, when your wife or your spouse is in your ear and you're talking and stuff, you don't really pay attention very much to anything else. When you're play, if you're a guitar player, you'll understand this. You can have this look. You know, and she's talking to you. And you know there's words coming out of her mouth. And she goes, did you hear me? And you go, oh, absolutely. And you're playing the guitar, you know. And then she gets mad at you. And then you just lean over on a little Elvis tune and just start singing Love Me Tender to make up for all that stuff you didn't hear, right? And, uh, but the quietness, you're able to hear. In the quietness and the stillness, you're able to hear. Let me say something to you without trying to pop your bubble this morning. Even sometimes in church, we're so glorifying with all the amens and the yeah and woohoo that sometimes, sometimes it's times we need to be quiet. And sometimes others are trying to listen to God and they need to hear. You know, I've been in church services before where the word bless God was used over and over and over, amen and bless God. And, and it was like, you know, you got to use those things at the right time. You know, when the preacher says everybody's going to die and go to hell, bless God's not the appropriate word to use after that. It should be, oh me. It should be, Lord, please wait and be long, suffering and compassionate and caring and not willing that any of them, you know, it, and what happens is, is you get in church, you get all excited and you start playing off emotions instead of really listening to God. That's why it used to, when I was a young preacher, I used to go, come on, you move, you know, and now it's like, I go, okay, when it gets quiet, that means the mosquito is on and has found a vein and is drawing, right? When you hear the buzzing, they're still trying to find. But when they are quiet, they're in you and they're ready. The Bible says that this quietness that comes, think about it for a moment. Six seals have been opened up. They're waiting on the seventh one to be opened up. Jesus is standing before all of heaven. and He's got the scroll. Seven seals are laying on the floor of the throne room. Six seals are laying on the floor of the throne room, already opened up. And all of heaven's attention are at Jesus. Their eyes are focused on him, and heaven gets silent. Heaven becomes quiet for about the space of a half an hour. Now, I know what some of you are going to ask me after church. Brother Steve, why do you think it was a half an hour? Do you think it's because preachers should actually only preach 30 minutes? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, no, I don't believe that. Because in another place in Scripture, in Revelation, it says for an hour, okay? And uh, if I'd have wrote it, it would have said four hours. <laughs> Listen, here's what I want to show you. There were seven trumpets. After that silence, the Bible says that that seal was opened up. Look at what it says in verse number two right here. In verse number two, it says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Think with me for a moment. There's quietness in heaven. Nothing's being said. Silence for half an hour. Brother John, they're mulling over in their mind, what does the seventh seal have? Listen, I don't know about you, but this is what I would think. Is it over? All they saw in chapter 4 and 5 was one scroll with seven seals. They didn't see the trumpets like we know that are there or the bowls of wrath like we know, Brother John, that are there. All they saw was one scroll with seven seals and six of them have been opened. And look, I believe that all of heaven is at attention, Brother Carl, and they're going, is this it? Is it over? Is that all the judgment? Is that all the punishment? Is, is, is it done? But it couldn't be. Why? Because the prayers haven't been answered yet. Those martyrs were crying out for their blood to be avenged by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, and it could not be over yet. Why? Because Satan and his demise has not happened yet. And so it can't be finished. And so they're probably hanging in there in the quietness and going, what's going to happen? And when Jesus opens up, this is amazing. He opens up that seventh seal. All of a the sudden, they see seven trumpets of God's wrath that are coming out now. They actually see them as one trumpet that opens up to the second one, to the third, to the fourth. To, they see that there are seven trumpets that are coming. And I want you to look at this. There are seven trumpets. And the Bible, 
where did we get trumpets from in the first place? The first use or the first word or term that the Bible says that God starts speaking about trumpets is in the book of Exodus chapter number 19. We'll come down here with y'all. Exodus chapter number 19. In Exodus 19, they had trumpets before then, okay? But Israel never used them until something took place in Exodus chapter 19. You know what it was? The Bible says that God told Moses to lead the children of Israel toward Mount Horb or toward Mount Sinai. And he says, as you lead them over there, he said, you draw a circle around the base of Mount Sinai and you tell those people that they cannot come across that line. No animal, no beast, no child, no older or elder, no one can cross that line. Or what would happen to them? Dead. They would die. You said, Brother Steve, why would God do that? God was saying, you cannot approach me in your flesh. You cannot come to me in your sinful flesh. Atonement must be made. In other words, sacrifice and blood and cleansing must take place. You've got to be holy to come before me. So all of a sudden, that line was drawn around. And the Bible says that when they approached this mountain, do you know what was happening in Exodus 19? When they approached the mountain, the Bible says that God descended upon the mountain. And it says, and fire and smoke and darkness was upon that mountain. And it says they heard thunderings and earthquakes and lightnings. But it also says this, they heard trumpets. They heard trumpets. They heard something that sounded like a trumpet. Do you know that the Bible says that God told him, said, go and make silver trumpets. Go and make these trumpets and do these things. But it never mimicked the sound that they heard that was on top of Mount Sinai. When I went to Israel years ago, there was one thing that I wanted more than anything else. And I knew it was going to cost a pretty penny. It actually, it was like $400. But I was like, I'm saving all my money. I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm getting that thing. But go over there and I wanted what's called a shofar. Not a chauffeur. Okay, I, I had two of those. They can drive me around all the time. So, so far. And what it was, it was a ram's horn, the big ram's horn that would go out and they would curl and they would twist outward. It's got an olive branch on it. It has uh, uh, the menorah and silver and gold and all that stuff. You say, well, let's see, why did they do that? They found out that as they sacrificed, they would do th- They took those ram's horns and they would allow them to dry and they would cut them in certain ways and would form them in such a way to where when they heard the trumpet and the blowing through that ram's horn, that it actually was the only sound that mimicked what they heard on top of Mount Sinai. And see, what did they do with that sound? They went and they said, every time you hear the sound of trumpet, you gather together. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, you come together for worship. But when you hear the certain sound of the trumpet and the blows and the sharp blasts that are three blasts, then you know that the enemy is approaching and you need to seek help and we need to come together and we need to assemble the armies and to fight together. Trumpets were used in that way. The Bible says in this book right here in Revelation chapter 8, verse number 2, it talks about that they saw seven trumpets. They knew from that that something is about to happen and that God is going to send judgment on this world. I want you to look at these seven things that are in here real quick and we're going to go through these probably faster than anything. The first thing I want you to see, look at verse 3. They're all in verse 3. He says, I saw, after that I saw another angel come. Another angel. People say, well, this is probably Jesus. It's not Jesus. Don't get that mixed up. It's not Jesus. The reason that I believe it's not Jesus is because Jesus in the book of Revelation is being identified and being revealed. And every time you read about Jesus in the book of Revelation, you read about him being Jesus, being the Christ, being the Lamb of God that was slain, that stands again. He always has a personal name that's there. This word is angleos. It means messenger. It means someone that's doing what God's told him to do. The Bible says we see this angel that comes. The second thing you see is that this angel is like standing before the altar of God. There's, he, he, as he comes, he's standing before the altar. And there's this thing there. The fo- uh, third thing is this, is that he has a golden censer in his hand. And it says, and much incense was given unto him. That's the fourth thing. And that he should offer with the incense the prayers of the saints. That's the fifth thing. Whereat, look, on the golden altar... That was before the throne. And we'll leave that scripture up there because you see all of those things that are in that. To really sum this up, the Bible says that in the Old Testament they made this thing. And Brody, it was about a foot and a half wide by a foot and a half wide. It was squared. It was made what we, the term that they used in measurements in those days was called a cubic. And a cubic was 18 inches, a foot and a half by a foot and a half. And it was two cubits tall, so it was about this tall, okay? It was a small little thing. It was made out of acacia wood. 
And then after they made it out of acacia wood, they took gold and they overlaid that and put rings on the side of it. They put a crown up on the top of it so it would hold these things in. And it had horns that were on each of the corners. So it had four horns that were on the corners of that altar. In the Old Testament, the Bible says in the tabernacle and in the temple, it says that the high priest, which would be the sons of Aaron, says the high priest would grab this golden censer and that he would go outside to the brazen altar that was made out of brass, okay? The reason it was made out of brass, it was a sign of judgment. It was mingled together, a copper and an ore that come together, and, and they actually said that it would withstand the fire, and it was all for judgment, okay? Remember Goliath. Anybody know who Goliath is? Goliath, you know, would that help if I, if I told the story of David and Goliath this morning? Um, David and Goliath, the Bible says that that Philistine's armor was made out of bronze, which meant that he was going to pass judgment upon all people. What is also awesome about that is that he was covered from almost head to toe except for one small area at the forehead in his armor which God allowed David to fling a rock out of a sling and God, I believe, with his hand took that rock and slapped that giant in the forehead with it. Amen? Yeah, then David ran over there, grabbed the sword, and showed everybody that he knew how to get ahead in life. He cut it off. Amen? <laughs> then, <laughs> it was made out of bronze because of judgment. That high priest would go out. Y'all stay with me, okay? Stay with me a little bit. He would go out to that altar out in the front. It wasn't in the closed-in tabernacle. It was outside. Two things were out there. The altar and the laver, the, the, where the fire was burning, the sacrifice and the blood would drip down, and where they would wash their hands before they come in to the place, the holy sanctuary. He would take that censer. A censer is just a small bowl, round, whatever. But he would take that censer, and he would go out there and take tongs, and he would take tongs, fiery coals from off of that altar, and he would put them in that censer. And those coals, Brother Edward, it was said that you must have blood-soaked coals off of that altar. And he would put them in that censer. And that high priest would come in there, listen. He didn't fling it around and showing everybody and letting smoke go everywhere. He walked in to the tabernacle. He went into that first veil and he walked in the tabernacle where the lampstand was, the table of showbread. And there's this little altar that it looks a whole lot like the one that was outside, but it's inside. The only thing that's different, instead of it being four and a half foot wide and four and a half foot wide squared, that it was only a foot and a half and a foot and a half. The Bible says in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 30, if you want to go home and read it today, it says that that high priest would gather up incense. Galbanum, Stachtionica, all of these things, and they would put this incense together. And he would take that censer, Brother Butch, and that fire that was on there, and he would sprinkle it on there, and he would put it on that altar, and it would burn. And he would do it early in the morning. Aaron would go in there, the high priest, and would do it early in the morning. And when they would walk in the service of the Lord and would go in there and pray to the Lord, Brother Adam, they'd walk in and that light would be shining off of that menorah, that seven-branch lampstand, and hitting those gold walls of the tabernacle. Man, they would go in and they would look up praying to God, knowing that as they looked down, it was earth, looked up, and it was cherubims of angels that were watching over them. And they'd praise God. They'd look over and understand the table of showbread that God's going to supply all of their needs. But when they walked up to that golden altar, it was right at an area. Listen, they shoved that thing, God told them to, all the way up to the veil called the, the, uh, the veil before the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was in. It was told to be shoved up against that. And what they were doing is that that was the closest place that they could be to the presence of God. The closest place that they could be to the presence of God was at that little golden altar. And they would take that stuff and put it on there and the fire on there and the smell would go up and fill the room. Smell like on guard from essential oils. It would smell like something that would just fill the room. And so when they walked in there, what did they do? They didn't smell the desert. They didn't smell the death where the fiery serpents came in. And people were dying and they were decaying in their tents. But when they went into the holy place of God and got to the closest they could get, Brother Heath, to the presence of God, there was a sweet smell. And it would fill that room. And that high priest would do it every morning and he would do it every evening at the sacrifice. Every morning and every evening. And that place, you can imagine, as that, those, those uh, 
linens that covered up the place that they would capture that smell in. I, I, I have this weird, crazy fetish. I'm a, I'm a gain. I, li- I like gain. Anybody know what gain is? You know, I, I take. I, I'm confessing to you. I take gain dryer sheets and I stuff them in my, my vents of my truck and put them underneath the seats and all that stuff. I, sometimes I carry them around in my pocket and smell them. I have gain air fresheners. I have gain. I have gain Febreze spray that I spray on my clothes, and people come up and go, oh, you smell good. They don't, they don't do that to y'all? There's a reason. Because <laughs> you don't smell good. And look, imagine that holy place smelling because it's, it's their prayers. Listen to me. This is very important. It's their prayers. They're praying, and all this stuff happened, and God laid it all out in such a way. Let me give you these last few things so that I can be able to preach. They were sweet. It was a sweet smell before God. The prayers were wonderful and they were beautiful. Verse 4 says, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints, they ascended up before God and out of that angel's hand. Look at the next thing he says in chapter uh, 141 of Psalms. He says, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and let the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. He said, Let my prayer life, Lord, be sweet to you. Let my communication with you be sweet. But then all of a sudden the Bible says something happens. And we're, we're not, we're not going to talk about this as much. You just save your notes and I'll, we'll add some more to it next Sunday. But the Bible says all of a sudden that the angel that was doing the service of God goes out to the altar of the brazen altar and takes fire and fills it into that censer again. And he throws it upon the earth and there's this judgment that's coming. The judgment is because of prayers that will be answered. The judgment is because God is going to avenge. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't seek vengeance, but the Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Listen, I want to get to the last, very last part, that these angels now are preparing themselves to sound the trumpet. Verse number 6 says that they're preparing themselves. You know, the Bible says in Matthew, I'm going to close, Brother Brown, you go ahead and come on, you and Andrew. The Bible says in Matthew, we listen to this, Jesus said, I mean, excuse me, John the Baptist said, he said, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to the baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits that are meat for repentance. He says, and think not to say within yourself, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And it says, but now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees, and therefore every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit, listen to this, is hewn down, cut down. It's cast into the fire. Now listen to these words. You've heard it said before, boy, Brother Steve, we get into church, and man, we were fired up. Boy, we had a good service, and oh, Brother Steve, we prayed, we prayed that we'd be baptized with fire. God would baptize us with fire. That's not a prayer that you should pray. People go, but Brother Steve, what do you mean? It's just talking about being fired up. No, 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 it's not talking about being fired up. Being baptized with fire is not talking about being passionate for the Lord. People get this from the scripture right here in Matthew, where he says, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, and whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He said, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Then it says, comma, and fire. What it means is that, Christ has the power to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and to send the Holy Spirit to live in you if you trust and believe in him. Or he also has the power to baptize you in fire of judgment. And you say, Brother Steve, I just don't know if I believe that. This scripture is wrapped in the context above about how he will send angels to judge the world. And if you don't believe me, the last verse says, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into the barn or the garner and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That scripture teaches us this, that you have Jesus. You have Jesus at your access. You have Jesus, as Paul said, it's it's nigh unto thee, even at your mouth, at your lips. You can call on the name of Jesus right now and be saved. Or you can choose not to. But listen, you can either be baptized with the Holy Spirit of God, which is what? The Bible describes him as a comforter. 
The Bible describes him as what? Listen, my peace leave I unto you. Not peace as the world gives, give I to you. He says, but I give you peace that Paul described later in the scriptures that passes all of our comprehension and understanding. But that is through what? Through trusting and believing that Jesus is Lord. But if you don't, be baptized with fire. Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember a guy named Lot? The Bible says that he chose to go that way. He chose to depart away from Abraham and to go unto the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that in the, in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? We know that there was sin. We know that there were people that were not just sinful, but then they actually turned into living in an animalistic way and began to do the fleshly desires of their own body and serve their bodies instead of serving the God who created their bodies. What happened? God said he's going to destroy it. And there's this guy, Brother Jerome, by the name of Abraham that says, God, God, please don't. God, please don't. Please don't do that. And we know that Abraham knew about the sins that they were committing there because he had had an army and fought against them before this happened. Well, God, please don't. He said, no. They've rejected. They've turned away. And he said, God, but if you find 50, if you find 40, if you find 30, God, if you do that, will you spare it? And the Lord kept telling him over and over, Brother Brian, I'll spare it. If I can find that many, I'll spare it. Lord, if, what if you find 10? If I find 10, I'll spare it. What did Lot do? Lot was so wrapped up in sin, so wrapped up in sin that he couldn't see it. And God was saying, you need to get out of this place. People go, well, God wouldn't do that. The Bible says that fire rained down. Fire and brimstone rained down and destroyed them. I know church people today were so lovey-dovey and so politically and passively correct. We, we teach this God that doesn't judge. But I have to tell you that he wouldn't be God if he wasn't powerful enough to save and powerful enough to judge. So, brother, see, why? Why would God, hang with me, give me two more minutes. Why would God do that? Why would God judge? Why would God not have stopped at the seventh seal? Why, when they opened it up, are there more judgments coming. Why? Because prayers are going to be answered. Those people were praying, God, avenge our blood. God, judge them that have done these things to us. Judge them that have done this. And God says, I will, but not with your judgment, but with my righteous judgment. I will give unto them what they have given. I will return unto them what they have done unto others. And God's going to judge the earth someday. And I know that that doesn't sit well with you as you eat your sandwich on Sunday afternoon. God's going to judge you, buddy. Ma'am, he's going to judge you someday too. If you reject him, you're going to be judged. But here's the answered prayer. How do we escape the wrath of the Lamb? Bible says that Jesus took all of the judgment that you and I deserve at Calvary. They beat him, they spit on him, they rejected him, they mocked him, they did all of those things. And if you trust in the sacrifice that was done on the cross of Calvary, then what happens is that we now have a wonderful salvation and access to God. Amen. And do you know what? You know what the weakest thing in the Christian's life is, Brother Heath? Two weak things in the Christian's life today. Listen to me. Reading your Bible and praying. And you'll never be closer to your God than when you're reading your Bible and when you're praying. That little bitty altar, there was a reason they shoved it all the way up against that curtain. Because in their prayer time, Brother John, they were trying to get as close to God as possible. And that's what your prayer time is with the Lord. See, what happens is, is 
Jesus takes his blood, his sweet life that was given as a sacrifice for you, and he takes your prayers, puts them together, and he offers them to the Father. And you're never closer to God than when you're talking to him in prayer. I'm not talking about waiting until you're in a heap of trouble. I'm talking about now. You're close to him. Watch this. Lord, thank you for the service today. Thank you, God, for the word. Thank you, Lord, that I know that you may be way, way, way above where I am. But in speaking, you can hear every word I say. And God, you can hear my heart. You can hear everything. Lord, let me draw closer to you. Let these people that are in this church understand the power of prayer and the power of their answered prayer. Let them know today, Lord, that there is no unanswered prayer, but that prayers are all answered, but they're in your time. God, speak to us like only you can. Lord, help somebody today that needs to draw closer to you. Let them know they can't sit outside the gate and expect to come to the altar, the little golden altar. They got to come and walk toward that and walk to your presence. Father, if there's someone here this morning that is away from you and in sin, I pray that they would take those steps to walk back to you. And there's power, so much wonderful power in prayer. In Jesus' name, if you would, let's stand together. If you would, with your heads bowed as others are coming to pray, just being respectful with others. I want to ask you to come and draw close to the Lord this morning. If you need prayer, you come. There are others that are here. If you need somebody to pray for you, come down. I'll pray for you. Brother Brandon's going to sing. Sweet hour of prayer. Yeah. That's it. My soul is often found. one second let me ask you this question in the last verse it says that the angels prepared themselves to sound the seven trumpets if you have children like I have you'll be able to relate to this the question I want to ask it have you prepared your family are you preparing your family to be ready for the coming of the Lord you prepare them to walk you do everything when they're little to help them to walk you prepare them to eat different foods you try this bigger and bigger and soft and then move to harder food you prepare them for that you, you prepare them in speaking telling them all kinds of things and phrases get them to say dada and mama and all that stuff. and then they grow up and say the things that you don't want them to say you prepare them by what getting them to school and education you prepare them teach them how to drive vehicles you teach them how to drive boats you teach them how to ski you daddies teach them and your mamas teach them how to do what? To throw a ball, to catch a ball. You teach them how to date someone and treat a woman or to treat a man. You teach them about what to expect whenever they're going to get married. Then you buy them a book that says what to expect when expecting. You do all this stuff. Are you preparing them for eternity? I'm serious. You prepare them for all this stuff. Taking ACTs, going to college. You, you, you men teach them, your, your, your daughters and your sons, shoot guns in order to defend themselves. Have you taught them and prepared them for eternity? If not, the nicest way that I can say it to you is that you're failing. You're failing. 
your responsibility to teach them about eternity. If they grow up and have the ability to walk, but yet you never took time to teach them that, then that says to me, why did you not teach them? They had the ability. You know, God's not willing any should perish. Are you preparing your family? Let me say it like this and we'll go home. You can't prepare them if you're not prepared first. And that may be the problem of where we fail. You got to be prepared. Amen. Someday, a sweet hour of prayer will be over. Someday, we'll not pray another prayer. It'll be done. It will end. And we'll be there in all of eternity. Are you prepared? That's the biggest thing. Amen. God is so good to us. God is wonderful to us. I thank you so much for coming to church here. Don't ever think because the preacher preaches hard or he preaches soft that, you know, you did something. No, I, I preach what God's given me. I love to preach, but I love you. The reason that I come and preach is because God called me to preach. And I'll stop preaching when God tells me to stop preaching. But until then, I'm just trying to help you. And if you need help in any other way, if you say, Brother Steve, I want to be prepared, or Brother Steve, I want to help prepare my family, come talk to me. Come talk to me and let us help. Let us help you to be able to prepare your family. Amen. Listen, as we close this morning, Miss Sue's going to come. Miss Sue Ann is right. Sue is going to come. She's going to join our church this morning. She said that she, uh, last Sunday, wanted to join the church. And I told her she would talk Wednesday, and we did. And she's wanting to come. So we want you to come and stand up here this morning. She's going to uh, be up here, and we're going to have a prayer. Adam's going to close this out. He's probably got announcements. And we're going to give her a hug around the neck. She's going to join. She said, I, I, there's nothing like a testimony. She said she was saved when she was 13 years old. And, uh, and uh, also that she's been serving the Lord at Gardendale First Baptist and wanting to move her letter and church membership over here with us. And uh, ain't that good? Amen. Amen. I'm glad. I, no, I'm not, not, look, I'll talk to Kevin. I'm, we're not trying to steal people. But uh, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> what I mean it is, is just she said, I want to serve. And so I want to come here and serve. So we're glad about that. But Adam, or you come on. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Hey, listen, uh, if you're visiting with us, these actually tear out. We want you to know that. And there's a basket. When you go out those doors, it's on your left. If you have a question, there's a where the prayer spot is. You can write your question in, leave a way to contact, contact you. If you have a prayer request, you write that in. And this isn't just for visitors. This is for all of us. So anything that's going on, uh, man, it's been great. Sue, if you want to come on up here, uh, Miss Sue, and uh, I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer. We're glad to have you. And if we always encourage anyone, if, if you're not, if you don't belong to a, a church somewhere, then we always encourage that it's a great idea. You need to get involved somewhere, even if it's not here. Maybe it's somewhere closer to where you live or something. But if they're a Bible-believing, teaching church, you need to get somewhere and get involved, get joined up in church, make some friends, and have some sort of accountability with one another. It's good. When you go missing for a little while, somebody maybe will check on you and say, what's going on? You okay? Isn't it good to have that kind of relationship with people? Amen. Lord, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for the service today, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful mercy and your grace, God, and how long you extend that, God, before a judgment, before anything that comes, Lord.